leads us well into our text for this morning. Come on, be excellent. See in the name, and that name isn't just what you are called. That name speaks of character. When it says in the name of Jesus, it's not talking about just some letters put together. Names back then spoke about your character or what would be perceived or thought of character or your reputation in this case is what it meant. And so it says by the reputation of Jesus or in the name of Jesus. Well, what kind of reputation does Jesus have? Um, It already had been foretold who he would be. Um, and who he is. And so when he came, he just fulfilled what was said. And so when you and I call on the name of Jesus, when we say in the name of Jesus, is not some special incantation that somehow if you say the name, something happens. Right. No, you better be connected with the name. You better be, you better be connected with, with, with what he is about. You better be connected with the fact that he came and he died for you so that you can be a part of the family. Then, when you call on the name of Jesus, it actually means something. Many of us today are walking around as if we've got the genie in a lamp. If I just say Jesus, it'll fix everything. Well, let me help you out. If Jesus, if, if, if you are not connected to Jesus, you can call on him all you want. Unless it's for salvation, there isn't anything else that can happen. Yes, his mercy is there. Yes. Yes, his grace is there. Yes. But please, when we say in the name of Jesus, it's because you know him and his reputation precedes him. Thus, you can rest in him. Amen. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 3. It is on the inside of your bulletin as well. If you want to read along with us, please stand as we read God's word together. Still hear papers rustling, so I'm going to wait a little bit. Chapter 3, starting at verse 25 down to verse 30. Let's read together. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, This joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Father, I pray that as we indeed read, I mean, as we listen to your word, Lord, that you would spark in us a change and transformation, leading us to continue to look more and more like your son. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated.
Today, I want to look at for us this whole issue of increase and decrease. He increases, I decrease. He increases, I decrease. As we look here, we were, when last that we were together and I spoke to you, we looked at God seeking true worshipers, and that was in chapter 4. I'm backing up a little because he explains this <coughs> that I thought would be great for us to understand that on that quest and on that journey to continually be true worshipers, that we understand that it comes with the understanding of us learning this whole process, this whole idea of increasing and decreasing. Now, we know here that as we read the, um, this particular chapter, John is coming toward the close of his ministry. As a matter of fact, as you read a few verses before, um, John, the apostle who is writing this, uh, says that, that, that Jesus and John the baptizer were baptizing in the same area because there were plenty of water around. And so as they were, John, of course, was baptizing and was leading people to repentance because he was sent before Christ to prepare the hearts of the people. His whole ministry was to prepare people to receive Christ. Wow, that sounds really familiar. His whole ministry was to prepare and to point to Jesus. That's his whole ministry. So regardless of how popular he was, how famous he became, the great things he did, regardless of, of, of where those ministry opportunities took him, that his purpose was to cause people to understand that Jesus is coming and prepare your hearts to receive him. And so he gets now toward the end because John makes this note because he understands when he wrote this how people would be thinking Jesus' ministry really started when John's ended. When John was in prison, soon to be beheaded is when Jesus began that public ministry. And at this particular time, it was coming to that transition. And so he says, if you go back a few verses, John had not yet been imprisoned. And he says that because he knows it's a marker for people that understood now that he's writing his gospel, that in the synoptics, you really, you, you, in, in, those, in, the, in those other gospels that, that, that kind of um, um, together talk and, and, and actually share from one another the life of Christ, John comes and says, I understand that Jesus' ministry began publicly when John's ended, but this was that transition, and it's important that we hear and understand what's happening in this transition, and we look at John's disposition in this, because this is critical, and it helps us to understand what our heart, what our mindset should be as we serve Christ. So today, this whole thing of he increases and I decrease should help us to form in our minds and our hearts how we are to serve and how we are to be as we walk in Christ. And boy, it will help us greatly because a lot of the heartache, a lot of the, the, the us getting upset, a lot of the us feeling devalued and, and us 
feeling like God has left us would be dealt with when we understand this concept of him increasing and us decreasing. And so we're going to look at several things this morning that will help us along the way. But first, we need to look at the issue and the problem. <clears throat> we see here that as this conversation arose about purification, a conversation, some commentators think that this conversation might have been about whose baptism is more effective or efficacious, which one leads to more ceremonial cleanness and purification. And so this conversation comes up between, it says, John's disciples and a particular Jew. And it doesn't say who or what, but, but this conversation came within the Jewish community. How does this lead to purification? Because, you know, the Jews were concerned with being pure before the Lord, but at this particular point, they lacked the understanding that the purity started from the inside. Yes, all of those rituals that were there were symbols of how God wanted their life to be pure. But when Christ came, he changed and made it from the, or he fulfilled, and, and that the cleanness would come from the inside out. But they're still having conversations on external purification. And, 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 and so as they, as they have this conversation, it must have led to frustration about what Jesus was doing. Because when they came to John, as you read this, they came frustrated. They didn't come frustrated with John. They came frustrated with Jesus. And that's a problem. And so this whole thing of increasing and decreasing, I mean, increasing and, and decreasing starts off by dealing with the problem. And the problem was the disciples of John had a perspective that was driven by personality. See, the fact that they came to John complaining about Jesus was the problem. Now understand, John wasn't the problem, but it is how people had received him. Yeah, John was their leader, but the personality John and the ministry John began to cloud for them the person and ministry of Jesus. And for many of us today, a lot of our perspectives of the Christian life, of ministry, of church, of scripture, and even of Jesus himself is driven by someone else's personality. We get too attached to personalities to the point where it skews, it actually skews, excuse me, our, our perspective of Jesus himself. And that's what happened here. And let's look at what they did with it. Their discussion led them to concerns with Jesus. When your discussions that you are having with people lead to frustration with Jesus, you are having a bad discussion. Somehow you are not seeing Jesus as he needs to be seen. There may be a person that is standing in the way. And when you put personalities above the Savior, this is what will happen. Well, look. Why did you let that happen to him? Jesus, you knew better. Jesus, I can't believe that you, you allowed this. I remember the conversation in my mind. I'm smart enough not to have it out loud. I remember the conversation I had in my mind 
after my mother passed, I remember, I remember having it, I remember saying, and yes, the Lord corrected it, but I remember saying, because she was this godly woman, and she was someone that walked with the Lord, and you guys heard this from me many times, I said, Lord, how could you treat her like that and let this end like this? Hold on a second. And the thought right behind that came and said, so she is more holier than I am? And boy, it caught that right away. I was like, oh, yeah, uh, Lord, sorry. But in my hurt and in my frustration, I had concerns with God that at age 60, he allowed my mom to go home. And God was like, I, hold on a second. The thought that came behind that was you act like she was flawless. And I was like, oh, well, I know she wasn't. And for some of us today, be careful where we place these personalities, yours truly included. Please don't end up having concerns with Jesus over some loyalty with me. Please don't, because that is improperly placed. These folks, when they were following John, John was leading them to Jesus, but they got stuck on John. And for some of us today, you have had a special place in someone's life as you've, been, I mean, as you've been demonstrating Christ before them. But here's what I want to encourage you to do is not to let people get stuck on you. Is to continue to move them away from you and toward Jesus. Because we can help people to the point where people become loyal to us and disloyal to Jesus. And we've defeated the whole purpose of why God allowed us to be in their life. Like John, you and I are meant to proclaim and to point people to Jesus. And as they get more attached to Jesus, guess what we need to do? Get out of the way and support and help. And so for my role, even as pastor here, it is to lead you into greater maturity in Christ. And some of you, to lead you to a relationship with Christ and encourage that. But I need to realize I need to get out the way and let Jesus be the one who's primary in your life. And so their perspective led to frustration. And other, they called John rabbi. Boy, that was a loose translation. They were, they were stretching it. But as I looked in research, that calling him rabbi was a frustration because the Jew that they had the conversation with was still around. <clears throat> and so they're having this conversation, and they come up and saying, our teacher, our ruler, hold on a second. And the whole designation of rabbi was seen as a frustrated response to what was going on in that conversation. But then, I'm going to go to this next one and, and, and then back up. Then, here's what they do. Do you notice when they describe Jesus, they don't refer to him by name? Let's look at the verse. He says here, verse 26, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan. All those words, all you had to say was, Jesus? He who was with you on the other side of the Jordan. And here's what they did. Whom you bore witness to. 
I was like, hold on a second. You treated Jesus as if he was owing, owing something to John because John was introducing him. I've had people that can, uh, I've known people that have continued to stay in places that they knew they should leave because the word of God wasn't being taught, but they have a loyalty to individuals and won't move on and move away. Be careful. And so they come and says, the one who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, who you bore witness to, in other words, hey, you approved of who he is and his ministry was or is to be. He says, look, he is baptizing more than you. What did they just do? They started some mess. Hey, come on, man. You started this ministry before him. Well, they really didn't understand it because Jesus later told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. And so he said, I was around before John even was thought of. But all they knew was what they saw. And so they come now and, and they put this competition in place. He's getting more people than you. Sound familiar? More people are coming to their church than yours. How many folk are coming through your doors? Do you see what's happening? And so they started this fleshly, sinful competition that was based on personality because they had concerns with Jesus. I'm still talking about he must increase and we must decrease. And we need to be careful what our loyalties to people will cause us to do. They started a competition that didn't need to be started. At a, there wasn't a competition. He's baptizing more than you. Hold on a second. Baptism is the key, isn't it? Wow. They're preaching to more people than you. Good. Because there are more people that are having the gospel being proclaimed. More people are being baptized at that church than yours. Good. Because that means more people are identifying with Christ and are wanting to be baptized. There are more youth going to their church than yours. Good, because that means that there are more kids that are off the street and learning how to live for Jesus. See, the issue becomes the competition doesn't need to be started if you understand the purpose. And so as they went through that, they misunderstood John's ministry. See, because they thought he was to remain the focus forever, which is what happens when there's a person that when, when your perspective is driven by personality. You want that personality to remain. But that personality, if they are obedient to Christ, are constantly pointing people away from him, her, them, onto the Savior. And so what happens here? Well, he comes up. And they thought John was to remain. And I put this down here for you. to. They viewed Jesus as competition to John. Boy, that could be something all in itself. When Jesus is your competition, really? There is no competition. Can you imagine that? When Jesus is your competition. Let me tell you what that's like. That's like me having a one-on-one pickup basketball game with, with, let's see, Kevin Durant, with Steph. There is no competition. 
The game is over before I step on the court. Even if he gives me the ball first, it's over. There's no competition. But somehow we see they saw Jesus as the competition. And in essence, their comment, they wanted John to do something. They didn't say it, but that's what they implied. They said, he, hey, look, the one that's baptizing, everyone is going to him. Lie. Because it says in the scripture, John was baptizing here. Jesus was baptizing there. And actually, Jesus physically himself wasn't doing the, bapti- the, the baptizing. His disciples were. Well, if John is baptizing some here, everyone's not going to Jesus. But you know we do that. Oh, everyone is leaving. Everyone is going away. Oh, every, every, you know, be careful when people use every all the time, never. Come on, we know that. You never do. Never. You always, always. And they were doing the same thing here. They were using exaggeration for negative effect. And in essence, they wanted John to do something. And they actually thought John could do something. When you come to him and say that, they were, without realizing, placing John on equal status with Jesus. John couldn't do anything. What could John do? Jesus, I need you to stop, man. You know, you know what? You, know, you, 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 you baptizing way too many people, man. You need to ease up so I can have some of this. And for you and I, where do we do that? See, they sought John's elevation. And we seek our own elevation when we have issues with Jesus doing something that seems to take away from you and I. What we are really seeking is our own elevation. Well, God, how come you did that for them? Why don't you, that, why don't you do that for us? And boy, I, the Lord, if, 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 if we heard him audibly all the time, I can hear the Lord saying, because I want to. Because that's what I chose? Or what is it to you? As he said to Peter, what is it to you if I let him point to John, remain until, I mean, live until I remain, until I return, rather? And so the issue becomes they put John on equal status. But here's what I want you to see. Those that understand this concept of increasing and decreasing do what John did. It was a response. So we had a personality. We had a perspective driven by personality. Now we get a response driven by truth and clarity. John didn't get sucked into the game. John didn't get sucked into the competition mindset. Look at his response. <coughs> he says here, and John answered. First thing he did was he clarified. Um, it was a clarification of what he had. He said, okay, y'all lack understanding here. You think I got all this myself. You think who I am is because of what I've done. You think what I have is because of what I've, what I've received myself, what I went out and grabbed for myself. You think all this is because of me. And some of us today, we forget that. Boy, we get, we get big. We get a little ministry. We get a little success in our jobs. We get a little athletic Proudness. We, 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 we start to succeed, and all of a sudden, we think we did it. John understood where it originated. He says, no one can receive. Let's read it just as he put it. 
He said, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And that heaven is understood the way he put that as saying from God. He said, I didn't get any of this on my own. It all came as a placement from God. He says, understanding your issue is you think I did all this. I have an issue. I have an issue when I hear in conversations of the pastors, how many members do you have? I do not like that phrase, that term. I don't. I've had, I've had guys that have asked me, how many members do you have? And I say, none. <laughs> Look at me, none. Dude, well, how do you have a church? Because they're not my members. I don't have any. I didn't die for any one of them. They're not here because of me. I may be leading but this whole, how many members you have? Zero. If you want to ask how many children I have, three. Because I had part in that. But how many members? Zero. I had no, no part in that. Yes, yes, I may have encouraged you. Share the word. Proclaim yes. But when I read the text, when it says, while we were yet sinners, it didn't say Curtis died for you. It said, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ, the other C, died for us. Don't get sucked into this thing of letting people think what is happening in you is because of you. Yes, you exerted energy. Yes, you were disciplined to stay true to what God wanted. Yes, yes, and yes. But God is saying, please don't get duped into believing it's you. John said, a person can't receive anything unless God gives it to him. And it's squashed from the beginning. And then he goes on and answers. He says, look, he says, I need to clarify something else. You already know. You bore witness since you wanted, since you talked about bearing witness that I bore witness to Jesus. You bore witness to me that I told y'all that I was not the Christ. Never was, never will be. He said, I told you that. And you bore witness to it. He says, but let me clarify for you since you misunderstand. I'm not the Christ, but I was sent before him. And so let's help out with us. You know, God has you doing great things wherever you are. But he says, understand this. It is, it is God who sent you beforehand. And as you are in that job, that classroom, at school, that gym, that wherever you are, he says, God has sent you so that you can be a witness. So when they hear about Jesus, they'll remember you and they'll start thinking, wow, yeah, I saw someone live out that life of Christ. And they weren't living for themselves. You are not an end in yourself. You are representing Christ wherever you are. And you are preparing the hearts of people to receive the gospel when it, was when it is presented, whether it's presented by you or it's presented by someone else. See, you and I have the ability to be a help or a hindrance to someone coming to know Jesus. And my question is, which one are we going to be? But if I'm steadily trying to increase, you're not going to see Jesus. You're going to see me. If I need to be the center of the show all the time. See, God may place you as the center of the attraction at the moment so that 
you can lead people to Jesus. See, there are these signs along the road, different signs, and depending on what you're looking for when you're driving down the road, there comes a time, if I've been driving for a while, I'm looking for that sign that either points to a rest area or, or, or some sort of place where I can get off and get something to eat. And so I look for them signs, and, and, and if the sign has the right place on it where I want to eat, I'm excited. Because I'm looking at that sign. But it would be foolish for me to stop at the sign and rave about the sign. People thought I lost my mind. If I stopped my car on the highway, got out and said, but the sign, but the sign is great, man. It's where I want to eat. Look at that. I'm like, dude, get in the car. Y'all would think I'm nuts, but that's what we, we stop and get enthralled with the sign. When the sign is pointing us somewhere that we need to go. And so I would say, just like it would be silly for you to get off on the highway and stop and be enamored by the sign. Stop being enamored by people that are pointing you to Jesus. And thank God that he has people pointing you there. Here's what it is. John never portrayed himself as more. Boy, that's a sign for us. Don't. He never portrayed himself as more than someone that was sent before Jesus to proclaim him and help people's hearts to be prepared. John didn't get sucked into that game that many, especially in my field, many get sucked into. Thinking that they are there to make themselves famous. You aren't there to make yourself famous at Jesus' expense. Go on and do whatever God has called you to do. Whatever job he's given you, do it well. And if people talk about you, great. But I like the scripture in Matthew that says, let your light shine. And it says that they may see your good works. Let it shine in such a way that they, they who, whoever's around the world, will see your good works. And here's what I like. And glorify you and talk about you on earth. That's not what it says. For those who don't know that text, it said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who's not on earth, who's in heaven. In other words, your life, your works, what you do should be pointing people upward. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. So let me ask you, where are you pointing people? What kind of sign are you as a follower of Christ? Where are people being led toward? Or are you encouraging them to stop and get mesmerized by the sign? And then that whole the truth and call of his mission was that he was sent to proclaim Jesus. But here's what he does in that too. He gives an example to them that I know they will never forget. He says, y'all over here all excited. He, he says, in a wedding... And those who've been married, you have best men and you've had maid of honors for our sisters. You would be upset if your best man at your wedding tried to get all the attention. You would turn and say, dude, we are not here for you. You would tell to her, sis, as much as I love you being here, we're not here for you. John goes back to the wedding and says, the bridegroom 
Actually, let's read it because I don't want to mess it up. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. I'm looking at the wisdom of John. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Because the way weddings were, when the bridegroom came in, he was announced. And you heard his voice and you knew that the wedding could proceed because they'd be waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. And when the bridegrooms arrive, the friend announces and he hears his voice as he begins to speak. And there's excitement, not of the friend of the bridegroom, not for the best man, but for the person who is getting married. And John says, I'm him. He says, so I have joy. I hear his voice. Yeah, we're close. He's over there baptized. I hear his voice. I know why I was sent. I know what I'm here to do. And thus, when Jesus does something that seems to take away or diminish the attention from me, he's like, I'm excited. My joy is complete. Why? Because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You and I today, boy, let me help us with that. He has joy over Jesus' glory. Do you get excited when Jesus gets the attention? Do you get excited when people no longer depend on you as much as they used to because they can depend on Jesus for themselves? Do you get excited when people begin to grow in their faith and don't keep coming back to you, asking you questions and seeming to need you like they did when they were infants in Christ? Do you get excited? Or do you get upset and like, wow, Lord, like everyone is leaving. Like they're not. And, and, and you know what the Lord says? Go get some new people. <laughs> you all stuck on these over here that used to depend on you. And they're growing great. You are doing what you should. You are, you are, you are leading them closer to Christ. And they don't need you as much. And they start to help other people. And you're like, well, wow, I used to get all the attention. God says, right, that's how it should be. You used to. And now they're growing up and on their own and doing what they should in Christ. And I ask you, do you live by this statement? He says that he must increase wasn't that it's good that he does. That must said it is critical. It behooves all of us that he increases. In other words, that is the will and the desire of God that Jesus increases. And by that same token, it is the will of God that you and I decrease. John understood, <clears throat> and even though he understood it, John realized later it was hard for him to understand how his ministry was going to end. John understood he was sent to, to ahead of Jesus to proclaim him. And if you read later on in the Gospels, he sent his disciples to say, are you the Christ or is there another? There was frustration because he was in prison, getting ready to get his head cut off. And Jesus says to his disciples, go back and tell him. And he's quoting the scripture. And Jesus purposely does not use one part of that scripture which says the prisoners are set free. You realize that because that's one prisoner that was not going to be. Now, prisoners set free, of course, spiritual set free from sin, 
But in this particular case, there was going to be no illusion to John that he was getting out. He was going to end his ministry, and it would cost him his life. And yet, up until then, John was greatly honored because John understood why he was there. Why are you here? What has God called you to do? Are you doing it? And are you doing it understanding that God wants you to be in a torch-handing-off ministry? What does that mean? That you know what? You are constantly handing people off. God, I know you placed them under my care, but here it is. I've got them now, and they can stand on their own under you. God, they don't need me as much. Oh, I'm always here to support them, but boy, they can now come to you by themselves. Who are we doing that with? Ask for any one of us. One of our friends, are we helping the point to Jesus to where, you know what, they now can understand him for themselves. John desired God's will of Jesus decreasing. And lastly, when he said, I must decrease, he realized the focus on him must fade. See, God has times when he highlights us in different phases of our life and ministry. He highlights us. He allows us to be seen. And we love that and we accept that, but, but then it's the other side of when God is causing it to fade out. It's not that he doesn't love you. He's kicked you to the curb. What he has for you, he may be transitioning into something else and it may be done in that area, but he's not done with you. See, the issue becomes understand that in God's economy, he has phases, times when he causes you to rise and times where he causes you to be in the background. But it doesn't diminish his love for you. It doesn't change what he has for you. It doesn't change where you're going. All it means is that you had a chance to take part in what God was doing. And now he's changing it. One of the hardest things is for one of the hardest things is for is is for people especially in places where you've been known for a long time to accept now that they no longer have that athletes are one of those groups of people that after being in the spotlight and when you walk into the room everyone stops and notices you in the stadium they're chanting your name and they're calling out and when they retire some of the hardest things for a professional athlete is retirement because it's usually retirement when you retired from that field, but you are a long way from retiring in life. And what they have the greatest difficulty with is the diminished celebrity status. No one calls my name anymore. No one is infatuated when I walk in the room, or fewer and fewer people are. Well, let me ask you, where are you right now? In relation to what God is doing, is, is, is God, does God have you in a place where, where he has a lot of people noticing you? A lot of people are excited when you walk in. A lot of people are saying things about you and how God is using you. Great. Continue to point people to Jesus. But let me shift that a little. What if God now has some of the attention being shifted from you somewhere else? How do you handle that? When you don't seem to be the golden person anymore, everyone is aging through life. And the issue becomes when God shifts, will your focus be he must increase, I must decrease? Don't let God changing 
how he highlights and spotlights you. Don't let it mean to you that he no longer loves you. He's just changing how he's using you. How will you allow yourself to be used by God? He must increase. I must decrease. Decrease doesn't mean detention. Decrease doesn't mean he's done. He could be doing something else and change it into something totally different. Are you going to accept that? Because ultimately, he is the one you want to get the glory. Let's pray. Father.